thank you that we can gather this morning and we can worship your wonderful name. We thank you for the church that is gathered here and thank you, Lord, for the sense of togetherness, the sense of unity, the sense of faith that exists. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are on that journey with you and thank you that we are on the way. You are the way and we are on the way. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we celebrate the beginning of this ministry period, as we celebrate the commissioning of our South Campus, as we celebrate all that you've done with baptisms, we, Lord, say, Lord, do it again. Lord, do more. Lord, continue your work of grace in our community. Thank you for every faithful believer that is gathered here this morning. Thank you for their love. Thank you, Lord, for their devotion. Thank you for the calling that you've placed on each of their lives to be the priesthoods of all believers, to serve in the body, to share the good news of Jesus, to read the scriptures and minister the scriptures in their lives, in their families, and in their groups. Thank you, Lord, that you've called them to be good news, not only in words, but also in deed. And Lord, we are grateful for this morning. We are grateful to be worshiping together and to sense a very profound sense of your Holy Spirit at work amongst us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So bless our time and bless every family member here, every individual, that they may be encouraged by the word of the Lord and they may know that inspiration to keep running the race for Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. You may be seated and thank you, choir. How lovely to, uh, to have a choir this morning. And uh, Katrina, thank you. Uh, it's lovely to be back. Uh, for those of you who are new to Willow Park Church, my name is Pastor Phil. I've been away a couple of weeks in the United Kingdom and, um, and as um, uh, visiting my family and it was my dad's 80th birthday, so I was celebrating his 80th and then I left and then the, everything changed and Her Majesty the Queen, of course, passed away. And we now have an appointment of uh, King Charles III. Uh, and of course, today, as well as 9-11 on the Sunday, and this morning I rose early, uh, got into my uh, fire uh, ceremonial uniform and went down to Knox Mountain and gathered with the uh, Kelowna Fire Department and the West Kelowna Department and uh, marched and then led a ceremony uh, in remembrance of those on 9-11 that lost their lives, as over 340 firefighters plus uh, police officers and over 4,000 people uh, lost their lives on this date. So we were uh, remembering that and tolling the bell and I was speaking the homage, uh, which simply means remembering the courage and the fortitude and the devotion of uh, first responders on that day. And in fact, today also is the first uh, responders and the firefighters day for across Canada to remember those that have fallen in service for their communities and have paid uh, the ultimate price by serving in that way. So it's, it's already been a busy morning and, uh, and here we are. 
all family together, celebrating together, commissioning self together, and moving forward. Well, we're going to, we're not actually doing the Jesus Code. We've come to the end of that, but uh, we are, I am going to step in and teach a little bit this morning as we prepare to commission about the importance of the church. I want to make three very clear statements this morning. First of all, I want to remind you that, 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 the, church, that the church is built by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that he died for his church. And I want to remind you that he loves his church. And I want to remind you that, that we have a role, a valued role, to play within the church. So as we think about this, the value of the church, because often in today's society, we wonder about the value. Ah, oh, thank you. We wonder about the value of the church, and often people think about what is the value of the church. We are family. We are together. But on this day, at the beginning of a new ministry season, I want to remind you of some words, of course. Acts chapter 2. They, the 3,000 who got saved, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miracles, signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily and who were being saved. I love that scripture. What a picture of what church should be like. Of course, in today's modern society, we face lots of Challenges. Church is being increasingly pushed to the edge of society. The role of church, the role of faith. I feel honored that I still hold the post of chaplain for the, uh, for the Kelowna Fire Department because even chaplaincies are being developed and are being uh, kind of turned into spiritual uh, directors and, and different areas and different terms so that the, the, the true sense of the Christian chaplain, the Christian minister, the Christian uh, communicator in some areas of, of our Western world is starting to be uh, demoted. We experience that in different areas and we wonder and we see where society is going to take us and what is taking place. But of course, this is not new, as I've said many, many times. The church has functioned at its very best when it's been on the edge of society. When we have been marginalized, we come alive. When we are persecuted, the nail is driven deeper into societies and countries. When the Bishop of Tehran was, was in recent history, in the 70s, was martyred, then Archbishop of Canterbury said, although Christianity is being obliterated through Iran and Iraq, the deeper they drive us in, we are like a nail that is driven into the word of the fabric and we go deeper and go deeper and it will never be removed. And today, there are more Christians in Iran than there's ever been in its history. There are more Bibles being given out. 
more scriptures being given out. God is working in the most profound way. And it's, it's perplexing for authorities and powers and principalities. It's perplexing for them. But of course, nothing's perplexing when you realize that the power of the gospel is to save the world. And the one thing that will not stop being proclaimed in this world is the power of the gospel, the saving, loving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So even this morning as I led the ceremonies and the ringing of the bell, I was honored to do that simply because it reminds the world and the dignitaries and our mayor and our, our counselors that were gathered that, that yes, there are prayers to be prayed. There is a faith that makes a difference. There is a church that gathers together, that eats together, that prays together, that works together, that rejoices together, that baptizes people that give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love being part of the church. I've never, never not loved it. And I wasn't even raised a Christian. The church was a gift to me when I became a Christian. They were the most interesting, most amazing, most diverse bunch of individuals I'd ever met in my first church. They were some odd ones, and there were some nice ones, and there were some downright weird ones at times, I'll be honest. Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. And I ended up becoming the senior pastor of that church. And I've only been a member of two churches, that church and this church. And I feel honored that, that there is longevity and commitment when we consider the value of the church. And as we commission south, it is not just something we are doing that is an act of... Um, a kind of, uh, let it be nice to pray for them, is a spiritual empowering that as they go back, the power of the Holy Spirit will be there and the church will grow and the church will succeed. That's what we're doing. We're, uh, we're calling on the ancient practice of laying on of hands and declaring that we send you to be fruitful in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to understand that. So church, ecclesia, it, the word actually means assembled the right to assemble, that they assembled together in the temple, they assembled together in homes, and as the church grew, they took on the synagogue approach where they assembled together in buildings all around in main cities in the Roman Empire, and they would assemble in places that they could rent, places that they could get, places that they could later buy, places when a Roman emperor became a Christian, of course, under Constantine, he built churches. Then actually, I don't know if you know, later on, another Roman Empire emperor uh, reversed all that for a short while and declared that we're sick of all these Christians doing kind acts. We're sick of all of these Christians doing charity. I declare that every pagan should care for the poor. I declare that every pagan, a worshiper of Zeus, should uh, go out there and care for the sick and care for those who are lame and do all the good things that the Christians do. I declare that the pagans should do this. That was a complete disaster because that emperor failed. The pagans ignored that advice and pretty soon, maybe a decade later, back came in the Christian Christianity and it continued to thrive and thrive. Why was it 
Why did it fail when the pagan emperor said, let's do what the Christians are doing? There was a good reason for that. Because they did not have the power of the Holy Spirit. And because they were not commissioned by heaven itself. And because the church is God's idea. The church is a unique place, a unique family. A family together, as I said, with our differences and our interests and our personalities. It's not a perfect place. It has failed in some areas at some times in history. We know how it has failed when we consider our own history with residential homes. We know that in other parts of history, the church has significantly failed. But we are family we are a group of people who, who are from different backgrounds. We are a group of people from different economic experiences. We are a multicultural group of people that come from different diversities, different nations, different colors, different backgrounds. And that is the beauty of the church is that it takes in all of humanity. And that's why we should be a welcoming church. We should be a loving church. We should be a church that works together, that stands together with all of our difference. And sometimes church feels like family, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I've had my mother-in-law staying with me for a month now. And, and, and I love my mother-in-law and my uh, father-in-law. And it's been fun, although I did go to England for half of it. And... Sorry about that, Mum. Uh, but, you know, and, there, and there's differences and there's quirkiness and we laugh a lot all the time at different things. I, I do find myself in a kind way laughing at my mother-in-law. Oh, she said to me the other day, oh, I do love your water. Oh, they were talking about the water in Rutland. They were, oh, it tastes so good. I love the water. Oh, I love it. I love the water. This is Rutland water. If you're, sorry if you're from Glenmore. I love the, I love the water straight off from, from Black Mountain, I said. Uh, Black Mountain water is the Evian of BC. And, and she's drinking. She said, I love it. And I love this, this beautiful glass that I'm drinking it out of. I just love walking around holding this glass and filling up. I said, Mom, it's not a glass. It's a vase. You're walking... <laughs> You're walking around with the flower parts. <laughs> That's family, isn't it? And sometimes in church life you go, hey, uh, you're, you're holding a flower vase, not a glass. Uh, you've got that opinion. That's a bit strange, but I love you anyway. Sometimes you go, oh, is that the case? Gosh, it is, it is, it is unique. But we mustn't lose the sense of assembling together. We mustn't lose the sense of being together. We mustn't lose the sense of broken bread and gathering in homes and being together in this way. One of the dangers of the modern Western church is the individual thinking that we've got ourselves into, whereby it has become me and Jesus. And this is a danger to the church when it suddenly becomes all about me and all about Jesus. 
And this is an unbiblical stance when we land up simply with me and Jesus. Sometimes even our songs do not help because it's about I and not us and together. And this morning we had a beautiful, beautiful rendition of those songs that brought us together as a community. And it's not about me. People have often said, now I'm so individualistic, I do not need the church. There are reasons for people on their journey. And I do not want to speak of other people's journey in a disrespectful way. But I do want to say that when individuals say that they no longer need the church, or they're joining the universal church, or they're part of the wider church, but not part of the local church, I'm reminded of the words of John Wesley, the great preacher in the 1750s that saved Britain from a French-type revolution and enabled revival to come to the British Isles that actually kept the monarchy in power to this day because... The preaching of Wesley changed the hearts of the people and made a difference in that nation. The gospel does amazing things as well, strangely. But he's made this statement, or he said, I look at the New Testament, and in the whole of the New Testament, I simply cannot find solitary religion. It's it's not in the New Testament. Solitary religion is not in the New Testament. It is togetherness. It is cooperation. It is not about the invisible universal church. I'm part of this invisible universal church. What is that? Because it's difficult. When you go to hospital, what happens then? Do you call for an invisible pastor? I don't know. It's an invisible church. The universal church, this nebulous term, I don't need church. I don't need local church. It's a little bit like saying, well, well, you know, I want to be part of the Canadian uh, Air Force, but I'm not going to join a squadron. I'm not going to train with a squadron. I'm not going to work with a squadron. I'm just going to be part of it and fly my own route. And we all look at that, that would be bizarre and ridiculous, right? If I said I'm a member of the Canadian, which I am, uh, firefighters, I'm a member of that that organization, well, where do you belong? Well, actually, I don't belong anywhere. I kind of just float around. And if a fire pops up, I decide whether I go or not. Well, where do you train? Well, I kind of train a little bit here, a little bit there. I sometimes in my back garden, I get my hose out and have a practice. Sometimes I go to Starbucks and Planet. You know, I'm doing this. I'm part of, I'm part of the the Canadian Firefighters Association, but I don't belong to a local hall, a local group, or a local team. And we would look at that and say, that is ridiculous. You have the universal organization because you have the power of the local. And I think in today's society, as we come out of COVID, we need to remind ourselves that... We are connected to Christ, and Christ is connected to the church, and therefore we are connected to the church, and therefore there is a divine connection that is mirrored in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, whereby we are connected together. 
So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. For better or worse, we belong to each other. And I would say to you, wherever you are in your journey, find a congregation, find a place, get stuck in, and work hard for that. Why? Because there are 30 commandments in the New Testament that cannot be fulfilled in our lives without us being part of a local congregation. 30 commandments. Those 30 break down into three groups. They break down into submitting to one another, which is the hardest part of church life often. Working together, submitting together, loving each other is the second area where we are able to love one another. Church is designed for us to practice our love, where we are able to show our love and practice our love. And then, of course, service. The church exists so we can serve. We learn to serve. We serve here amongst the believers, and we serve in the world as we go out as lights into the darkness. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. So when you hear this idea, I don't need a local congregation, we all need a local congregation because that is the way the Lord presented it. That is the way he commissioned it. That is the way he spoke. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that fantastic? Can I encourage you to come to Green Bay? Next, we're having a morning service, but we're going to Green Bay at uh, 3 o'clock, and we've already mentioned that a couple of times. But I understand that there are around 30 people being baptized, and that does... Thank you. And that does not include pursuit and other... We're still waiting for youth and so on, so we could have anything up to 50 people being baptized... Who knows? But that's fantastic, isn't it? It shows you that even through COVID and the pandemic, the church was at work and the church was moving. And let me talk to the elephant in the room. The pandemic has created lots of problems. I, uh, I led a, a group of pastors, 17 of them across the nation this week on a Zoom call, I coach and help pastors. Those pastors also came from Germany and from Jamaica, uh, a church of 3,000 in Jamaica. And I was leading them through a mentoring time. And as we were talking about this and another group, uh, we were chatting about how's it going. And of course, this is how the conversation goes amongst pastors. Well, well, They'll have to say, well, how, how's your congregation? Well, before COVID, we were this big. And now we're this. And that's true. There's a good third disappeared. And then another person will go, yeah, I just don't know where they've gone. There were some real core members, core people who we just haven't seen. They've just like disappeared. It's like they've been snatched or something. They've gone invisible. And then... Um, and then others will go, yeah. And then there's all new people that have joined and we don't know who they are. I go, yeah, okay. And this is, this is from Nova Scotia, literally on that call, to Jamaica, to Germany, to Kelowna. 
That's quite a wide. And they're all saying the same. The funniest was, oh, should I say funny? I don't know. Uh, was a pastor in Prince George, who was a church of 100, a young guy. He said, and he said, I had a sabbatical in the spring and I went away for, for four months and, and my church was 70% seniors over the age of 70. When I returned, my church was now 70% young families and I have no idea where they've come from. He said, I guess Jesus is doing something. I've just got to work out what it is. And I thought, oh, wow, maybe all those seniors regenerated and became young. <laughs> Who wants to join that church? I could do with doing it over again, right? Well, who's in? Who's out? Who attends? Who doesn't? Um, have people kind of disappeared? I had a rant on one of my mentoring courses uh, before about my age group, 55, 56, and how it's so easy for 55, 56-year-olds to just disengage that we kind of get tired of it. And I had this little rant on my, to all these pastors and somebody took the recording of the Zoom and put it into kind of little TikTok and showed it to their congregation. If you don't know what a TikTok is, ask your grandchildren. Uh, so, but, 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 but the question begs this, how committed are we to the gathering and assembly of the church of God? How committed, because every time you read the Old Testament, you realize something that Jesus was going to build his church. But when you read the New Testament, each of the letters are written to local churches, although we take them universally. When we look at the book of Revelations, the churches and the letters in Revelation are written to those who have lampstands and he comes and he writes personally to them and Jesus speaks to the churches, each one, each one individually, highlighting their strengths, highlighting their weaknesses, encouraging them to repent, evaluating their performance, saying to them, if you do not act correctly and walk correctly, I will even take away your lampstand from your church which is terrifying when you think about it. It's local, and yet it's global. And that is the power of the church. And we remind ourselves that Jesus said he would build his church. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And sometimes we just keep to need to remind us that nothing will stop the work of the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the work of the church. And we're part of that body. We are part of that church. It is so easy to be offended at this. It's so easy to disagree with their stand. It's so easy to go back into our little areas, but it takes real commitment to submit to one another, to love one another, to serve each other. 30 times it says that in the New Testament about the way that we should be. Build on the foundations of the apostles, the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The church and Jesus builds the church. That's why when we commission south, we pray. 
And that's why when we gather in September at the end for our prayer meeting, we pray because no church, no movement, no revival has ever succeeded without the power of prayer. So I should love the church because Jesus builds the church. And I ask him to build the church. You and I should ask him to build the church because Jesus died for the church. He died for the church. And when we think about this, be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. Often we think, I am purchased with the blood of Jesus, which is true. Your sins were forgiven because of Jesus Christ individually, but the church was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you can't delete the church from God's plan and from God's equation because when Christ died on the cross and saw every one of you individually, Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for the whole church as well. And yet when we dismantle the church, we're in danger. The fact that Jesus loves the church and, and, and it's hard for us to love the church sometimes. Churches can be some pretty dangerous places. I've been fortunate. I've pastored twice, long periods of time, and I've, I've, I've had sound, good people. But I know the horror stories. I know some of you have gone through horror stories of church members' meetings, of terrible things. And I know that it takes a lot of effort to love. Before I was even a pastor, my home church had three splits before they got their act together and split in all kinds of different directions. They were kind of Plymouth Brethren group and they didn't know what to do when renewal came and they didn't know what to do when new songs came and they didn't know what to do when this came and it was all very traumatic. But I was about, you know, 16 years old and just sort of watched it unfold and just carried on going to the church. I was glad I did that because all the isms disappeared. But today that church still stands with two services, reaching the community, the buildings there, and they continue to bless and see people saved regularly. It's worth sticking with it. It's worth believing. Jesus loves the church. He, he describes it here. Paul writes about husbands love your wives. That's very good advice. Very good. Just as Christ loved the church and gave him, himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the waters through the word and to present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's why we take sin seriously in this church. That's why we run set freeze. That's why we talk about being free, changing our characters, choosing to respond in love to each other. That's why, because like a good husband who should love his wife, should care for his wife, should buy flowers every week for his wife, yeah, okay, I, I haven't done that this week, and not every week, but it's a good thing to do, preach to yourself, preacher, and should, should do this, and should die for his wife, and should create a holy environment of goodness and blessing and joy and togetherness. You've got a responsibility. 
Likewise, the church should live that way. Likewise, we should love the church with all our heart because we know that. And finally, we join Jesus in building his sacred temple, the church. And when South goes and we start the campus, restart it again, and when we do other campuses in the future and as we develop other opportunities for expression of church and togetherness and things, I want to remind you what the book of Revelation says. I want to remind you that the book of Revelation says we, the church, that we will one day receive a victor's crown for the work that we've done. A victor's crown. So I want to be part of that crowning. I want to receive that victor's crown. Pretty soon you're going to see a king being crowned. It will be spectacular, but it will compare nothing to the glorious day when the church of God arrives and the trumpet sounds and all of time gathers together around the Lamb of God and we receive our victor's crown. It says in Revelations, you will receive a white stone with your name on, a new name. Do you you wonder what that name might be? I know. And me. But you know that white stone, it goes back to ancient Rome when you could never get into the festivals and the activities without a stone. And all Christians were excluded from the main festivals, events, and celebrations. So therefore the Lord whispered to them and said, I will give you a stone, and it's an all Access pass with a new name to the glory of God and to heaven. You've got a stone waiting for you. It says you will rule over the nations. Church will rule over the nations. It says you will be dressed in white and your name will never be blotted out, church. And it says you will sit by his throne and you will enjoy his glorious presence. I think we all need to remind ourselves to get excited about church and understand that it's a spiritual engagement that, and we join in and we join Jesus to build his sacred temple, the church. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building, and he said, that he had been called to lay the foundations for the church, which is Jesus Christ. The reason I preach this this morning and highlight our social problems, our perceptions, is that I'm asking you not to be invisible in church life. I'm asking you to understand the power of togetherness. I'm asking you to engage in the 30 commandments of the New Testament that says simply, love each other, submit to each other, and serve each other. I'm asking you not to give up so easily and not to allow the principality of individualism and the powers that exist and philosophies to rob you of the beauty of Christian fellowship and Christian togetherness. And that this morning may be a morning as we kick off, and I will continue Uh, to preach on the value of the church, warts and all, problems and difficulties, over this first September before we move into our fall series so that we understand 
that as a church, uh, we are in this together and we are believing God to do most wonderful and remarkable things. We're going to invite the staff at the South Campus to come up. I'm going to invite the elders to come and join us on the, the stage now. And we are in a moment going to stand. And as we do this, uh, we want to commission uh, the team. And then we're going to stand together and commission those in the congregation of the South Congregation. And I would like to um, just say that the very heart of this message, of course, you can come a little farther the heart of this message is very much um, the heart of, of what God has called us to do as a, um, as a team. And, and we're, a, we're a staff of, what, 26? Uh, we have three uh, locations. And we um, value the local church and we value the support of the network of being able to to support each other, that when we go through difficult times in our campuses, um, we're able to support. And we want to pray for commissioning. We want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, let me just acknowledge that uh, Glenn and Sarah, and of course Glenn is our executive pastor as well and does an excellent and superb job. But Glenn and Sarah have, have been on our pastoral team as campus pastors for 12 years which is fantastic. Uh, Glenn was employed just uh, six months after I arrived as, as a campus pastor. And at that point, the South community was struggling. It was even down to 30 or 40 people. And uh, Glenn built it back up to a strong community of over 200, 250, Glenn and Sarah. And they worked hard. They worked tirelessly and they continued to carry the banner for the South as they do today. And I want to commend you all, and now they've been joined by Nick and Jenny as they have associates and, and the last 12 months, and we've, we love them and have, have been delighted that they've joined us and have, have given so much to us and so much life, and, and we, we applaud your work. And of course, Courtney, who we all know, because she was basically born in this church, uh, Will is an apprentice pastor now and children's worker. And so she starts her apprenticeship this, this time, having finished her first degree in theology. But um, each of these are great friends. Glenn and Sarah are fabulous friends of me and Michelle, and we're blessed by them. And, and the fortitude, the courage, the determination... At any point, one could step out and say, no, we could do this, we could merge, we could that. But he was not for turning. And I supported that 100%. And Glenn and Sarah, you've done an amazing job over these last years. And believe me, although you've had this break, you will do an amazing job in the following years to come. And we will pray for you, we will support you, we will bless you, we will applaud you, and we will believe that, that your congregation, our congregation in the South, will prosper and knows God's blessing. Amen?
So let's... Um, so thank you for all your work. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the elders to lay hands. If you're in the South Congregation, maybe raise your hand where you are. And if you're by somebody who's got their hand up, just place your hand on them and uh, bless them. If you see their hand raised, go and reach out and bless them and pray for them as well. Shepherding the church of God and being called shepherds is the highest privilege and calling. And I recognize as a team you have responded to the call to pastor and to shepherd. This role should never be done out of selfish ambition or gain. This role should be never done out of desire for one's glory. For shepherds are called to teach the word of the Lord, to bring good news, to care for the brokenhearted, to love for those that mourn, and to be a light in people's darkness. For a shepherd sees the sheep, and as they wander, a shepherd will go and bring the sheep back. A shepherd cares for the health of the sheep, looking out for diseases and problems. A shepherd leads the sheep, never drives the sheep. And as the shepherd walks forward in ancient Israel and even through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd would take the staff and bang it on the wall so that the sheep would hear the sound in the darkness and know which way to follow and which way to go. You are being commissioned to build church, to shepherd. You're being commissioned with the holy call of the Lord to minister in the body of Christ and to bring the good news. And I ask you today, are yours, you recommissioning? Do you accept this call to serve your people faithfully with a deep compassion and to step into this with all of your heart? If you do, say, we do. We pray for you now by the calling of the elders and the laying of hands. And we will call the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And that all the gifts of the Spirit will be released within you. And that you will experience God's power and strength to fulfill your role at this time as Jesus, to walk as Jesus, to follow and to know his presence. Let's pray together. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we commission these servants and we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will rest upon them 
And we pray that their feet will be good news to all. We pray that their hands will be a service of the Lord. And we pray that on their heads will be the fire of Pentecost will be upon them to fulfill the calling of the gospel and the calling to establish the church in this world in the name of Jesus. We pray against the lies of the enemy that will say it won't succeed. We pray against the lies of the enemy that says that church is irrelevant. We pray against the lies of the enemy and we declare blessing. We declare fruitfulness. We declare God's power and God's anointing to rest upon them in Jesus' name. And upon the congregation that is here, the members of the South, we commission you as part of the body of Christ to step out, to heed the call, to step in, to know God's anointing and to know God's power upon you, to use you powerfully in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for all of the congregations here, and at Lake Country, that the beginning of this ministry year, when we really are just seeing what will unfold, I commission you all, therefore, to go into all the world, to be the church of the Lord, to do the work of the Lord, and to serve the Lord with, with courage, with determination, with belief, and to submit to one another, to love one another, and to serve one another. We commission you now and we commission you south in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all the congregation said, Amen. 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 Well, we, have we got a song to finish with? And then there's a couple, I know Glenn has a little announcement and... Uh, a couple of announcements, and then we've got food and donners, I hear. Donner kebabs or? Donairs. Is that what you call them? Donairs. What's a donair? That's nonsense. So, okay. So, great. And we'll, uh, let's work. Are you ready to sing? Let's sing. Are you, have you chosen a really good song? Of course you have. I hope so. <laughs> It's a prayer song. It's for our church. It's called Fresh Wind. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and move in this next season of ministry. Join us as we sing. Here we go.